It was only a couple of years ago that automakers said autonomous vehicles were right around the corner. Today, they all seem to be backing away from that. So what's it going to take to put AVs on track? On this week's show, two executives from tech companies dive into the issue. Underwriting for the production of Autoline this week has been provided by RSM. Prepare for challenges specific to your business by working with trusted advisors who help turn obstacles into opportunities. Experience the power of being understood. RSM, audit, tax, and consulting for the middle market. And now, here's your host, John McElroy. I want to welcome you all to AutoLine this week. Today's topic is all about autonomous vehicles. What's it going to take to get these autonomous vehicles on the road? What's the, the holdup in all this? We've got two technology experts to talk to to get to the bottom of that issue. Walt Hearn is the Vice President of Americas for a company called ANSYS. Henry Bizet is the Senior Vice President and CTO of Automotive for a company called Flex. And thanks for joining me here today. Thanks for having us. Yeah, thank you for having us. So I'll throw it out. You know, a couple of years ago, just two years ago, everyone was sure that autonomous vehicles were right around the corner. Now we see companies backpedaling on it. Yeah. What happened? Yeah, I mean, what, what we found out is, is bringing autonomous cars to market is it's challenging, right? There's a lot of different sensors. You know, there's LIDARs, there's cameras, and there's radars, and there's a lot of different failure modes that cause them not to work. The cars have millions of lines of codes, 100 million lines of code, and, and bringing them to market in a, in a safe and secure way is, is a lot more challenging than we initially thought. I call it well-intentioned hype cycle, actually, because if you think about the fundamental premise on why we're doing this autonomous journey. Safety is the heart of it, right? We lose 40,000 people on U.S. roads every year. It's, a, it's a, not a good situation in terms of uh, our responsibility towards uh, people. And the second thing is you talk about mobility or transportation as a service. So there was a lot of momentum uh, behind it to get it to the point where people thought it's reachable. But then you start peeling the onion and seeing where we are in terms of the development of these vehicles and thus lies the challenge and this is where reality sets and now expectations are altered in some ways. But still there's so much testing and development going on. Yeah. Waymo, an offshoot of Google, has been at this for over a decade. General Motors has got cruise automation, Ford's got Argo, in fact Volkswagen just joined Ford in that yeah. effort. Mm -hmm. Others have got, even suppliers have got autonomous vehicles. Yeah. What, what specifically, Walt, has, has been the roadblock here? Yeah, I mean, I mean, you, you said Waymo, right? So Waymo's been leading the way with, with miles driven, physical miles, and they've driven approximately 8 million miles as of to date. There's a great study by RAND that says it's going to take 275 million miles of physical testing to validate an autonomous system. So that's, Waymo's still a long ways away from achieving that. And we think one of the main ways to get there is, is by leveraging simulation so that we can accelerate that. And that's what your company does, right? That, ANSYS is yes. a simulation company. Yeah, and, that, and that's what we do, and that's really what we're focused on is, is helping drive down those physical miles and doing them virtually. But again, it's, it, there's still a lot of uh, corner cases that we have to tackle. Yeah, and Henry, what do you see as the no, roadblock? I mean, to me, uh, we're trying to replicate that, the human 
can do with a machine, right? Which we can do in spades in terms of mathematical models, a great computer and, and the like, and supercomputers can do things that a human can never do, right? But there's a basic something there that a human can do that is not easy to replicate. And the scenarios are infinite. You're not dealing with a finite set of requirements or use cases. The possibilities are probably running into the billions on what could happen. We talked about you know, driving down the road, let's just say on the freeway, and a plastic bag runs across. What does that mean? Right? And so this is just gives you an example or flavor of these different use cases they have to deal with and account for in order to declare that you're robust enough to field these vehicles and capabilities out on the road. That is a big declaration. So what I've heard is getting 95% of the way there with an autonomous vehicle, we're, we've already done it. It's that last 5%, maybe even the last 2% that are these outlying cases, like maybe even just a plastic bag blowing across the road. Exactly. Sure. I mean, the exciting thing, though, that is happening is that as, as we're shooting for level five of autonomous, the early levels, level two, level three, they're coming out with a lot of great safety features. And those safety features are, are saving lives, right, and making the car safer. So even though we're shooting for level five autonomous, we're making a lot of progress as, as we go through the early levels. That's a good point, too. And level two, level three is where car companies can make money right now. They can put it on the road, right, exactly. pretty much. And, and Available to Joe Public, right? And interesting, I want to just, uh, since you mentioned that, uh, definitely give you a kind of a counter. And then this is from a personal experience. If you talk about ADAS and these features level yeah. two, I made a point of uh, buying my wife a car that had all these capabilities. And I, I was excited because oh, I'm going to get you the adapt adaptive cruise control. I'm going to get you the lane keep. I'm going to get you all this stuff. And I asked her the other day, I say, how's it going? He says, I turned all of it off. <laughs> so it is interesting, right? I mean, to me also there's, there's the element of, uh, are people ready, right? If certain people are not ready, what does that mean for the mass deployment? Acceptance is a big question. And so this is another dimension in terms of, from a technology point of view, I totally agree. I think level two now is almost like a standard feature, autonomous braking and the like. Uh, but beyond that, when you start getting into higher levels of autonomy, if we want to use those for reference, it is interesting to see acceptance and how people react to those. But Henry, isn't a lot of that the HMI, the human-machine interface? And I bring that up because when anti-lock brakes first came out, ABS, when you triggered the ABS, the brake pedal would pulse and it would make oh, yeah. a lot of noise. People didn't like it. Even though this technology could save their life potentially, right. they didn't like it. Well, it had to be re-engineered so that the pedal didn't pulse and it didn't make a lot of noise. Now every single car has it and people don't even know it's there. It That's just right. saves lives. Yeah. So couldn't that be part of the same issue with this? Absolutely. Absolutely. You can talk to some of the people that are using the existing mobility as a service, autonomous vehicles like in the Phoenixes of the world. And the reaction is that it's jerky, it's not seamless. It's, so the user experience is the fundamental premise in everything you do. It doesn't matter what technology you deploy and even in this autonomous vehicle space because acceptance is important. Ultimately, these vehicles have to be used by people, uh -huh. right? You and I and, and our families and friends. So if it's not a good user experience, if it's not something that the customer can enjoy or see value in the ride, that's another dimension we have to also be concerned about, I think, from a, from a deployment perspective sure. for acceptance, yeah. Well, your company can do simulation. Sure. What do you simulate? I yeah. mean, 
Is somebody watching the screen, or are these just programs running in the background? How's that all work? Yeah, that's a great question. So, so what we've done at Ansys is is seeing this big challenge, right? That that we had to build an environment that could simulate it. So we can actually simulate the real world. We can simulate how a radar interacts with the guardrail and how a camera handles solar glare and how a lidar works. So we've actually built a, an entire world uh, models where we see how the the uh, sensors perform inside the real world so that we can capture those failure modes and then help design um, you know, different features. For example, we talked about the early levels of autonomous level two. You know, today when you put a radar on a bumper, you have to see how does that radar perform exactly. inside the bumper. And using simulation, you can do optimization studies to see what's the best place to put the radar, how does it perform, so it helps it get to market much faster and reduces the overall cost of the companies bringing the radars and Thomas features to market. How good is the simulation? I mean, how well does it correlate to the yeah, real world? Great question. So, we've been doing this for, since 1970, right? We've been correlating it to the real world. So, we do the simulations, we correlate it to the real world. As long as you have the correct material properties and the correct inputs, you're going to get a correct answer out of it and so it, it correlates um, accurately. Is there some sort of feedback loop where you can continually refine the simulation? Um, yeah, I mean, there is uh, feedback loops, but we do test, you know, for example, in the autonomous world, uh, we have a track of M-City, and so, you know, we, we take cars out to M-City, right. run them on M-City, we validate the radar returns and the camera returns to our digital models and ensure that they correlate. And for those who don't know, M-City is an autonomous vehicle test track at the University of Michigan. Correct, yeah. Okay. Henry, uh, we've talked a little bit about what ANSYS does. What is Flex, and what is Flex's involvement in autonomous vehicles? Absolutely. I mean, we consider ourselves problem solvers and solution providers. Uh, we focus a lot on the hardware side of the business, right? If you think about our traditional capability in compute and cloud uh, servers for your data center, this is where Flex has this capability on the x86 architecture and working with these development and design of these products. X86 is what? That's X86, Intel kind of? Kind of an Intel platform, yeah. And so it is the, the uh, highly used product out there in the service space. And so our, our, we've leveraged that business tremendously within Flux to take that capability and knowledge and know-how because the compute power needed to run an autonomous vehicle requires that level of compute, which is server-based and server architecture. Take that capability and knowledge and know-how Add to that our capability and the mechanicals and the thermals and to package the whole thing and make it work really well, plus our auto-grade capability. So we've leveraged both areas into this synergy and really convergence of providing the solution to customers. And so we work very closely with uh, the big OEMs on providing that capability and solutions as we speak to those customers. So this is the, the play. We play with each other really well because Ansys is providing the, the simulation and you have customers who are providing the software stack, if you will, and then we'll provide the solution and the hardware and the stack and the, ent the entire end-to-end -end at the end. You know, even though there's uh, been a back-off, if you will, on level four and level five autonomy, uh, some of this geofence low-speed stuff 
seems to be viable. I mean, they're, they're out operating right now. Is, is, Walt, do you, what do you think about that? Is that the right approach to start off on? Yeah, I mean, I think if, if you geofence an area, you can reduce the amount of variables. And so we can, we can test all those variables in all of the different failure modes, and we can bring a safe autonomous system in a geofence area. So I think that's a great place to start. And then I think we'll see it move into the highways, because there's not a lot of, you know, it's, it's a lot easier to do autonomous vehicles on the highway. And I think that will be the progression as we, we head for the higher levels of autonomous. Yeah, what do you think, Henry? Absolutely agree on that. Uh, I don't think there's an, another choice yet. Right? I don't think there's, there's the choice right now. It's got to be geofenced uh, because the infinite corner cases and capabilities are not quite there yet to accommodate us going on, on the roads uh, per the definition of a level four. But not on the road. What do you think about Walt says on highways? On highways, actually, I see that as a much easier deployment than an urban Because there's areas. no cross streets or exactly. pedestrians. And You're a controlled access road, uh, and in there you have the ability to minimize your risk in terms of what you have to deal with from a, wor from a world perspective, or from a real world perspective. Because cars go in one direction, right? The likelihood of someone crossing the highway, you know, whether it's a pedestrian or a cyclist or a motorcyclist, I hope not. Uh, so that is minimizes your 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 chance of really being in a risk risk factor. Do you have companies coming to you these low speed geofenced uh, saying, hey, we need some simulation here? Yeah, I mean, we, we have some companies that we're working with in geofenced areas. We're also, we also had a big announcement. We're working with BMW on, you know, the entire city, the um, entire world, right, that we're working on doing advanced simulations for them as well to tackle these challenges. Okay, yeah. so what's it going to take? Yeah. What's it going to take to get AVs, autonomous yeah. vehicles, running on the road, do you guys think? In my opinion, it has to account for the extra 5% we talked about at the beginning. I mean, I think from a 95% solution, I think we're already there. We have cars on the road doing that. But that extra 5%, it needs to be figured out. I don't think it's figured out yet. So we, as a company, we try to enable from a solution perspective uh, to get there. But there's got to be much more than that. There's got to be more data sharing. We're, we're starting to see that. Uh, announcements where major tech companies making their data sets available for academia and research uh -huh. to solve that riddle, that last 5%. And so that is a big positive move, I think, in my mind, that's going to help us get there. But instead of focusing more on which level is the system doing, I think it has to be put in a frame of what is the purpose of this technology and what is it doing to help our society. And I think that would be the measure in which you start to go down this journey rather than say, oh, it's a level four, oh, it's a level five. I think we set these expectations and we build around those expectations some, sometimes unrealistically, and it causes a little bit of a disappointment because people say, okay, well, you talked about deploying in 2020 a level four system, but it didn't occur. And so to me, it's, it's, a, it's a journey, it's an exciting journey. We're happy to be part of it, and I think we'll get there. Uh, I'm, not gonna put a I'm not gonna put a timeline on it. Darn it, I was gonna ask you that. <laughs> <laughs> I, I pro preemptively did that, right? But I do believe that the journey is exciting and we're gonna get there and there's enough momentum and there's enough uh, tailwinds behind this to get us there. Uh, the timing of it is a little bit of a question mark based on reality setting in after that hype, the well-intentioned hype cycle that went, went by. Uh, but uh, we're gonna get there, I believe so. Yeah. And, and I think as, as we identify the failure modes, we're gonna come out with new technologies that's gonna help us get there. 
you know, for example, fog's a big problem with autonomous cars today. Right. Solar glare's a, a big problem. And, you know, there's a company called FLIR um, out of California that had been in the aerospace and defense industry doing thermal cameras. And now they're coming into the automotive industry because a thermal camera can tackle those failure modes. So as we continue to identify them, we're going to see new companies come to market, um, which will make the car safer. The other thing that's going to have to happen is, is infrastructure. Right, so as as 5G comes to market, um, and you know we have to look at different ways of of the infrastructure in our cities communicating with uh, autonomous cars, and I think we're going to have to tackle those challenges. Um, I think it's going to it's going to take a little while, but uh, I think we'll get there. Henry mentioned that some of the companies working on this are making their data sets available. I think mm. Waymo, right, made it publicly available. Mm. Is that something that you can tap into and help refine your simulation? Yeah, absolutely. I, I think as, as we get more data, and we can run more simulations, we can find more failure modes, and, and we, can, we can keep evolving. But um, as, as we continue to work with other companies and, and collaborate and simulation gets used more, I think that will also help as well. You know, you had mentioned, Walt, that trucks, and Henry, you said too, a lot easier to do. Yeah. Um, there's the potential of taking drivers out of these commercial trucks altogether. Sure. And uh, boy, that is something that I would imagine fleets would be very interested in. Mm -hmm. Because fleets look at what's their cost per mile. Sure. And even if a truck or a van costs more money up front, if they know over the, the life of that vehicle they're going to save money, yeah. they'll pay more to get it. What do you think? Is, are we going to see commercial fleets adopt autonomous technology before others? Yeah, I mean, I think when you, when you outfit an autonomous truck or an autonomous cars with all the sensors needed, it's hundreds of thousands of dollars. So like you said, the ROI is much clearer with with the um, with the trucks in the fleet, so I think we'll we'll see that earlier, right? And but we'll see it to where you know they're driving the fleets on the highway, and then they have the the driver picks it up um, once it once it comes off the highway. The other thing is that um, is that uh, you know the 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 technology for the highways is is going to be much easier to tackle. So yeah. I think we'll see. No, that no, first. I absolutely agree on that. The 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 issue at hand is that if you have a semi that's driving autonomously. And if there's any negative effect, the, the, the catastrophe, because you have you know, this very heavy vehicle on the road, on a public road, uh, and has other vehicles around it, so the, the failure mode is, is catastrophic. So you got to be very careful before deployment to make sure you've addressed the nines, right, as we talk about. Yeah. But from a technology point of view, I think for to, for me to see a platooning, for example, occur, yeah. which is one of the things you, we keep talking about. And in platooning industry. being one truck right behind exactly. the other, but we exactly. all electronically all together. connected. Think of them as one chain of the one vehicle, but a chain of vehicles running together. From a technology point of view, you know you need the 5G. You need the ability to wirelessly communicate between these vehicles at a low latency and high availability, which you know we're starting to deploy now, 5G and and the, and the sort figure out the CV2X aspect of it for the communication. I believe the infrastructure has to be in place to support this type of deployment. Otherwise, we're talking about, again, a limited access, a dedicated lane on the highway just for these trucks, maybe sealed, to make sure ensure that they will function without causing side effects. But yeah. I, realistically, I don't see dedicated lanes for autonomous right. vehicles. Right. I, I just think the public is not going to give, I mean, Every it's, highway at rush hour is jam-packed exactly. already. You're yeah. going to take a lane away? I don't right. think the public would stand for it. It's costly. And it's, if you're talking about there's enough, enough lanes on the 405, <laughs> right, as you know, right? To, 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 just to accommodate the people traveling every yeah. day, 
you make a dedicated lane just for autonomous vehicle, autonomous vehicle then you're certainly <laughs> dreaming a little bit. So. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. How do you think this is going to go from the vehicles themselves? Uh, for example, the Ford Motor Company says our autonomous vehicles for ride hailing and package delivery mm. got to be hybrids because all the autonomous technology sure sucks up a lot of juice, a lot of electricity. Whereas I find it fascinating that General Motors with Cruz is going with pure electric cars. Mm -hmm. How do you think that's going to shake out? I mean, right, right now, the autonomous systems are a big draw, right? When you, when you look at the, the cars that are on the road, if you open the truck, I mean, there's racks of servers handling, handling all of the different, all of the different uh, communications, right? When you look at a car that has eight cameras and 10 radars and five LIDARs, that, that's a lot of computing power that has to happen. And so I think it'll be a hybrid. Um, you know, but but Tesla's out there doing a full electric. So Tesla too, it's, right? Uh, it's uh, I, I'm not 100% sure which which way it's going to go. In my opinion, you're talking about a two and a half kilowatt or three kilowatt system just for the compute. It's just, I mean, that's a lot of power for a vehicle. Everything I've seen, honestly speaking, John, the deployment is really tied to some sort of uh, sustainability vehicle. So it's not going to be an ICE vehicle for sure. Mm -hmm. And more than likely it will be an electric vehicle. And the synergy there is good because you have a BEV running at a 400 volt, up to 800 volt battery, and then you have the conversions in place to support these systems. Uh, to me that is the synergy there. And then you have another aspect which is when the vehicle is totally electric, it's easier to control from an autonomous perspective, right? Because everything is drive-by-wire, and all these outputs that are coming out of the compute to say steer this way or brake that way, it cannot be your traditional system, right? It has to be an electric-based system. So I see a synergy between EVs and AVs, and we, we expect that to be our future, really, both. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I, I guess until companies start deploying them, we don't know who's going to be right yet. Yeah. And maybe they could be both right. It, sure. yeah. it may well depend on the duty cycle. Mm -hmm. So if you're going to use a car for just ride hailing, mm -hmm. well, probably from, you know, 11 o'clock or midnight till 6 o'clock in the morning, right. they don't need to be used. So they can be exactly. recharged at that yeah. time. But if you're going to do ride hailing and a package delivery at night then maybe you really do want to have a hybrid. So it exactly. might be horses for courses, too, that, <laughs> that make the difference. <laughs> there you go. No, absolutely. I mean, everything we see today, the business cases around fleet, transportation as a service, mobility, the talk about having these vehicles available to the public or the masses is not quite there yet. Everything we talk about today in the era of autonomy and a deploy the first deployments are all built around a mobility play. And so it is important to know because you could run a business out of this, you know, like a, it's a 24 by 7, but you can park some fleets, get them charged, get the others running. I mean, there's a lot that goes into this from a business point of view, from a duty cycle point of view, that will, will deliver that. But I don't see us uh, right off the bat making, you know, a dealership available AV vehicle for customers. I just don't see that yet. No, retail, <laughs> uh, I, I believe we're a long way yeah. from being able to go to a dealership and buy an autonomous car. Right. But I do believe we'll see uh, geofenced, uh, ride hailing. I don't think that that's that far away. There's that's demonstration the, programs going on right it, now. It is happening. Yeah. That will happen for sure. Uh, and maybe another thing to add is that, as, as was mentioned by Walt earlier, when we talk about ADAS, you probably start to also see a little bit of this L2, L3 plus features starting to take place 
into the vehicles as well as an option or as a capability, and you probably some of the premium segment entrants would want to come with that technology as a differentiator. Mm -hmm. You know, and, and you th some of them really do solve problems. I don't talk about my wife turning off all the features, but I would love to have a traffic jam pilot feature, right? I'm on the 405, right? It's six o'clock in the afternoon. That stop and go situation is not good for me. I'm gonna push that button, put it in, you know, in that mode and let it go. <laughs> I, I'm with you on that, Henry. I'm a hardcore car enthusiast. I love driving. Absolutely. When the road's open. That's right. If it's stop and go traffic, commuting every day back and forth from work, no, I'll push the button and let the car do it on its own. Exactly. So, well, what's it going to take? Right now, all the polls show the public's very leery of autonomous vehicles. Is there anything you can do from a simulation standpoint to help automakers and other mobility providers reduce that anxiety? Yeah, I mean, there, I don't think there's anything we can do. From, I mean, from a simulation perspective, we can run the simulations, we can run the corner cases, we can show that the, the car won't fail and that it'll be safe, right? So I think that will, will, give, will give some security, but I think it's about, you know, the, the generations, right? I mean, a lot, of, a lot of the younger generation, when they don't rent cars, they don't go to car rental companies anymore. When they show up at the airport, you take an Uber. Right, and so I think you'll start seeing that that transition into uh, autonomous vehicles as well. Mm -hmm. Henry, your thoughts on that? What's it going to take to warm up the public to this idea? Warming the public to it is going to have to resolve uh, first the user experience. In my mind, I think that uh, when these deployments are taking place and people are using the services, if it's not a pleasant experience, regardless of what the technology can and cannot do, it could really make or break or really help or not really help the situation. I think that is very important, the user experience. But from a deployment point of view, uh, we're seeing positive signs coming out of industry and data sharing is the fundamental really premise for us to get there quicker. Uh, it's gonna take a village to solve this problem. I don't think one company is gonna solve this problem. Mm -hmm. And the only way to move forward is by data sharing, collaboration, standardization, convergence, I thought you asked me about the x86 and the ARM and all that. I mean, we need to come together around something that is reproducible, uh, highly productive, uh, highly available, standardized. And you think of your PCs today. They're pretty standard pieces of equipment, right? And so to me, I see that as kind of the future where we need to get to where we're going to get there uh, quicker. Yeah. Real quick, well, can you simulate the, the user experience? Yeah, we, we actually can simulate the user experience. And in, in fact, with a lot of companies, we simulate, you know, when they're designing the car, how the person is going to sit, how they're going to touch the dials. And we're actually doing that today in, in VR. So it is, it is a, a capability and functionality we do simulate about the user experience. Wow, really yeah. good. Yeah. VR, of course, virtual reality. Yeah. That's <laughs> where we're all going to be someday, right? <laughs> if I may just add to that. Real quick, we're down yeah. at the very end. Yes. Okay. Yeah. It's, it's really about the user experience is something that the, the, the auto industry will solve. And I think you mentioned the ABS. That was a great example. Yeah. Stop. stop right? Yeah, another example. Another example in which, but now it's pretty seamless. Yep. The industry is capable of solving this problem. I'm just saying it is an important problem to solve. That's all. Yeah. Good. Yeah. With that, we're going to wrap it up. Yeah. Walt Hearn, Henry Bizet, thank you so much. Very interesting. Yeah. Thank you very thank much. You for Thanks us. for having us. Underwriting for the production of AutoLine this week has been provided by RSM.
prepare for challenges specific to your business by working with trusted advisors who help turn obstacles into opportunities. Experience the power of being understood. RSM, audit, tax and consulting for the middle market.